The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hi, my name is Gerald Schmidt, and this is my wife, Karen. And we'll be reading from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. How good it is to hear from each other in the scriptures uh, week by week, and uh, good to see Gerald and Karen this morning. Thank you, Dave, for sharing uh, those words of appreciation for the staff, and it is true. We love working together, and we love serving this church family, and uh, thank you for your expressions of that uh, gratitude as well and prayer. Um, This morning I want to just mention to you one thing uh, before I get into the sermon, and that is something I don't talk about very often, and that is the giving that so many of you are faithful to do in our church family. The reason this is on my mind particularly is because we're just come through, we're just coming through the budgeting process for our church. The staff do that first, we hammer that out, we pass it off to the finance team who has another handle on it and then comes back to us and then it goes to the board and eventually you're going to get it uh, as a membership in our church family. And um, I say this simply to say that we are, we are cutting as much as we can to clarify what it is that God is wanting us to do and not cutting anything that we feel is very much what God is wanting us to do. And that is a challenge as our, as our now, we're now a mortgage, we're paying a mortgage now and so on. The last couple of months have been a tough time for our church family, and I share that simply because I think transparency is good. And so we ask you to pray. We ask you to be diligent in this season and time. Uh, There's so many very important ministries that are going on, and if you want to know more about that, any one of the staff members or board members would love to talk to you about that. But I just want to ask you to be faithful in prayer because God in the past has always carried us through. And we can see his hand even now, so I share that with you. And um, I also want to just say thank you to uh, Lisa and Tom, who 
combined their efforts to make this a visual of the James series in this puzzle that we're working through. And we've already talked about perseverance and obedience and love and good deeds and wisdom. And today we're going to be talking about wholesome speech. And um, what an important uh, pictorial this is, and I appreciate them so much. Indeed, it is Paul who says in the letter to the Ephesians, do not let let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you, with whom you have been sealed. How many of you, maybe even this past week, uh, has your tongue got you into trouble? <laughs> How many? Oh, there's a couple of honest souls over here. That's great. Uh, it, it's a small thing in our mouths, but it sure can get us into trouble. This morning's message is going to be fairly simple in many ways. It's things that we already know. But I am being asked by God to bring it before us as we walk through the book of James. And I think the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on some areas that maybe will call to remembrance of how we could do better in our speech. James has already talked about this. He is saying that this matters a lot to God because the whole book of James is all about things that we should be pursuing that are mattering to God important of how to to show genuine faith and the the reality is is that what comes out of our minds our our mouths sort of not just uh, the words but the the tone and the attitude is actually either a, a confirmation of genuine faith in Christ in that moment or it is a betrayal of that faith and so James is very intent last week Doug talked about wisdom and he said that wisdom is shown in, in deeds, the conduct of our lives. But before James goes there, he actually is talking about the fact that, that we also show what matters to us and what matters to God by, by our mouths, because these things matter. James has said we should be slow to speak, that we should bridle our tongues because they are full of possibility, for good or bad. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, 1 to 12, the passage that was read. And the problem I have is that before I can get to verse 2 and talk about what applies to all of us, I've got to talk about verse 1 that does not apply to all of us. Because verse 1 is talking about, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater Strictness. I can tell you in all honesty, there is not many verses in the whole Bible that bother me as much as this verse. Because it says that I'm going to be, as a preacher-teacher in this church family, I'm going to be judged more strictly than you will be. Now, in verse 2, he's going to be immediately going into the fact that we're all going to be judged about the way we speak. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every word that they have spoken or texted. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but every one of us is going to have to give an account for every word. So, so that's where we're going to go, but I have to get past verse 1 before I can preach verse 2, and so I've got to deal with this. So we're going back to James 3, 1 again. And I must say, I've been wrestling with this. The reason I wrestle is because here we are on a Sunday morning, and guess how many words you're going to share, and guess how many words I'm going to (laughs) share. 
It's not really balanced, is it? But, but the thing that gets me is James does not say why we're going to be judged more strictly. Why are we going to be judged more strictly? The obvious answer is because we've been put in this position of authority and a position of influence that we do get to share more words. And uh, I think there's more than that, though. I think the other part of it is that words are the teacher's tools. So this verse, 3 verse 1, could have been tacked into any place in James, all about perseverance, obedience, love, good deeds, wisdom. I mean, we're going to be judged more strictly probably on all that stuff, but he puts it right before words because teachers, their tools are words. That's what we depend on to influence and to teach and to build up. And so we're going to be judged for those words. Now, I'm going to be, probably be judged for my words at lunch today. I don't know. You might go home and have some of that for, for lunch. You know, roast pastor. I don't know. But, but more than anything, it's not your judgment that matters to me. It's God's judgment that matters to me. What does he think? And so what, what I'm thinking about is the fact that God's put his finger on something recently that has made me uncomfortable about preaching and teaching in this way. It's, it's, it's simply that God has put his finger on maybe this is a bit, of, a bit of an idol. My preaching is a bit of an idol, I-D-O-L, in my life. In other words, maybe, maybe it is that, that I'm loving the gift that I've been given to preach more than the giver of the gift. Now you might ask, well, how, did you, how have you come to that conclusion, Terry? Well, because I, I analyze this stuff, I think about it, and I spend, I think, more time preparing to preach and preaching than I do praying to preach, okay? So in other words, I'm spending more words, every week I'm spending more words preparing to preach and preaching than I am praying to preach. And I think that might say that I'm depending on myself more than I am on God. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing this. I'm thinking this through. The sermon weekly for me is the agony and the ecstasy of every week. It's the monkey that is always on my back. And I have to examine whether I'm, I'm handling this gift properly that God's given me. And I, I take that very seriously. But in the, in, in the aftermath of thinking all this through and how I can be too analytical about my performance in it and so on, at the end of the day, the big point is not just what happens in this pulpit with me, but what happens everywhere here in this room and online in the hearts of all God's people. And so, so that's, the, that's where I've landed with this, is that... Is that the point is not how I did today. Did I knock it out of the park or did I strike out? The point is not whether the preacher knocks it out of the park or strikes out. It's not whether the worship leader is really knocking it out of the park or striking out. It's not whether the person that does anything else in ministry or service is stellar or awful. The point is that the judgment is going to happen on all of us here. Because you see, it's, it's how all of us worship this morning. That's the way the worship service is going to be evaluated in heaven, not how Kevin and the team led. 
And, and all of us are going to be responsible for how we respond to James chapter 3, not how did Pastor Terry preach it. You see, if God is glorified, then we ought to be satisfied, right? Because that's the, the bent of all that we do is Godward. Godward. And so I'm going to be judged more strictly. Well, this past week, Pat and I, two weeks ago, I say, Pat and I were away for a study week, and, and we listened to a sermon series on prayer by Jim Simbola. Jim Simbola is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. He and his wife, Carol, started that church, and, and uh, if you know anything about the Brooklyn Tabernacle, you know two things, right? You know one, that they have an incredible choir that leads in worship music for the church that, that is incredible in exalting Christ. But what else you should know is that they are the church that prayer built. That's the way they know themselves. If you were to talk to anybody in leadership at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, you would hear them say, Tuesday evening prayer is more important than Sunday morning worship. They don't just say that, they live that. And, and so as I was listening to this, and again, I'm not suggesting today that I'm comparing our church to Brooklyn Tabernacle. In fact, Jim Simbola says that there are several pastors that come to him on a pretty regular basis and say, how can we get our church to be a praying church? And he always goes back to tell them, you know what, you can't clone us, you can't, you're gonna, you're gonna be on the journey that God has you on and, and you just take the small steps with the praying people that you have and God's gonna grow it. But there are two things that Jim Simbola said in this video series that Pat and I listened to that just, I couldn't get it off my mind. And, and the one thing that he said was that it's interesting that Jesus did not say that my house shall be called a house of preaching. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And it's interesting that when the disciples come to Jesus, they did not ever come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to preach. What did they say? They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know, over and over again, we see in Scripture that that prayer is what unites us. Prayer is what is exalted. Preaching is a, a method, a medium, an important one, a gifting. Prayer is for all of us. I was convicted by this. And so I kind of have made a decision today to confess something to you and to ask you to help me with something. I want to shift the balance here a little bit in my life. I want to be able to go to God with more praying words each week. Use more of my words in prayer each week for the preaching event and less in just preaching and preparing to preach. And I'm asking you to join me in that. Help me to grow in that kind of way to be a praying preacher. And, and I would say that whatever you are called to serve God in, I would ask you also to be less concerned about your individual performance in it and ask God to make it more that you pray more than perform more. That you pray about what God's heart for you is. And I believe that if we focus on that, that God is going to be glorified in our midst. We're going to see things done that we know we could not do as a people. 
So with that, could, could we just go to prayer? Let me lead us in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we bow before you this morning and we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge, Lord, how weak we are in prayer sometimes. We acknowledge our moodiness in prayer. We acknowledge, Father, that we are motivated to pray often because of uh, a sense of desire when times are good or when times are really bad. But so often we, we don't persist in prayer. We don't lean into you. It says something about maybe the way we see you or the way we see ourselves. We're very performance-oriented and less prayer-oriented. Lord, I bring this to you, and I ask you to help us. Not just we who teach who will be judged more strictly, but for all of us, Lord, may we lean into you to ask for more grace in our service of you, in our witness of you, in our glorifying of you, Jesus. May we ask for more grace, more grace upon us. Lord, give us more grace, maybe the way we see you or the way we see ourselves. We're very performance-oriented and less prayer-oriented. Lord, I bring this to you, and I ask you to help us. Not just we who teach who will be judged more strictly, but for all of us, Lord, may we lean into you to ask for more grace in our service of you, in our witness of you, in our glorifying of you, Jesus. May we ask for more grace, more grace upon us. Lord, give us more grace to, uh, to not tolerate sin, but to mortify sin in our lives. Because sometimes we know that it is sin that impedes our prayer life. Your word says, if I would regard it sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard my prayer. Lord, we acknowledge that. We want to ask you, give us grace to mortify sin, uh, uh, not just tolerate it. Give us grace to overcome relational barriers that, that, that might exist, Lord, not just to live with them. Lord, give us the grace we need to get beyond the nerves and, and ask those neighbors, Lord, about their relationship with you. Father, we need your grace on all fronts, and we need to press into you. So please, would you help us, God, to be growing as a praying church? I ask it in your name. Amen. Well, let's move on to our message this morning, starting with verse 2. I had to get verse 1 off my mind, and that's kind of the journey that I've been on this past week, so thank you for bearing with me on that. <clears throat> The uh, three things that I want to share with you this morning are that the tongue acts as a guide. Be careful where it takes you. The tongue is a restless and unruly thing, so be careful to tend and tame it. And the tongue always bears fruit, so be careful that you use it to bless and not to curse. These are the three points. You can see it in the insert in your bulletin. Let's start with the first one. Verse 2. Paul, or James says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, there he goes, the words, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. James singles out one of the smallest members of the body, the tongue, 
And he says then in the next several verses, he describes how that smaller member of the body influences a lot about the whole body and how we live. And he uses two illustrations in this first point. He uses the illustration of a small bit that we put into the horse's mouth, and he uses the the rudder of a big ship that steers where it will go. In verse 3, he says, We put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us. We guide their bodies as well. Quite an amazing thing, isn't it, when you think about it? And I'm not really uh, up on my horse knowledge, but uh, it's a small piece of metal that is put into the mouth of the horse, and by that, a, a rider is able to control an animal that is three or four times their weight and several times their strength in number. And this little thing called the bit is, is able to help someone to, to steer, to control that, that big animal. And um, a, horse can, a horse can pull three times its own weight. These are powerful creatures. Read the Bible. The horse is often featured as this animal of strength and vigor. Did you ever wonder where the word horsepower came from? I had to do some research about that came from the same guy that the James Watt guy, the engineer, the guy that's on the light bulb, you know, measuring the energy that comes out of a light bulb. Well, he's the same guy that made them the energy measurement of horsepower that measures everything from lawnmowers to Lamborghinis. I mean, horsepower, where did it come from? Well, he was actually at a mine one day. You go back in history and James Watt was visiting a mine, and and he was watching the coal miners and figuring out, trying to figure out how much energy would it take for a horse to pull and raise the the bins of coal out of the mine shafts. How much energy would that be? Now, only an engineer would think this way. I, I don't think this way. But he wanted to figure it out, and so he finally arrived at the idea that it that in order to lift 33,000 pounds, he called them foot-pounds, out of of the shaft of uh, coal for one minute, that was called horsepower. For for example, he said it's like saying that a horse could lift 33,000 pounds one foot in one minute. Another way of saying it is that a a horse could lift 1,000 pounds 33 feet in one minute. You know, you can do the math and figure it out whichever way you want, but, but this is not an exact science, he admitted, but it stuck. It was an arbitrary estimate, but, he, but it stuck, and today we still use it. It's horsepower. And, and it's, 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 it's illustrating for James that a small piece of metal in this big animal, powerful animal's mouth is able to guide just as a small thing in your mouth is able to commit you and guide you and set you on a course of action that could be very dangerous. Then he goes on in verse 4 to describe the captains of ship that use the small udder to steer that ship. Verse 5, and he says, So also the tongue, though a small member, it boasts of great things. Just as one rides a horse or steers a ship, that tongue that is in our mouths is able to commit us to things and get us into trouble. It's dangerous to be quick to speak. Dangerous. We've all had experiences where we wish that we wouldn't have said something we said. It's never tasty to eat our own words. You've, you've all had situations where something kind of came up and, and shocked you. Somebody said something that just kind of 
through you, and all of a sudden, before you knew it, the words were out of your mouth, and it's too late. It's too late. And we have had those experiences. We, we've had experiences of boasting, of, of criticizing, of judging, of lying, of slander or gossip. It, it just seems like it. It just comes out before we realized it. But if you're in control of that thing in your mouth, you can steer yourself away from those things that will cause trouble in your life. The tongue acts as a guide. Be careful where it takes you. The second, the second uh, point I want to make is the tongue is restless and unruly. Be careful to tend and tame it. Never leave this thing unattended. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Never leave this thing unattended. <laughs> it needs to be tamed. And to illustrate it, James uses both a forest fire and those that are taming of wild animals and serpents and things like that. Um, what a warning. Both of these out of control, wild animals or fires in the forest can leave devastating results. Similarly, James says, you, you let this thing be out of control in your mouth and you better be watching out. Have you ever seen a person out of control? Have you ever witnessed a drunk person that is not in control of their speech or their actions? Or a person that is so given to anger that they now are flying off the handle? Have you ever witnessed that? It's an ugly sight. It's an extreme picture of what James is describing can happen to any one of us on a mild day. If we're not careful, we can never leave this unattended, untamed. I had shared with you, I think, in a sermon this past year already, this illustration, but last winter, out of the cabin where Pat and I are, uh, I was next door burning some brush. And uh, all of a sudden, I, well, I, I went over to see, see Pat, the cabin next door, and I was chatting with her, and all of a sudden she said, you know, that fire seems to be bigger than it was. And sure enough, when I looked over, uh, it was way bigger. And I ran over there and somehow, honestly, in a matter of a few minutes, it seems, it might have been five or ten, I don't know. But anyway, it, it, it just seems like all of a sudden that pile of chairs, plastic chairs, was on fire. And those little little brush, that, the other trees nearby were on fire. And thankfully, Pat and I were able to put it out. I mean, I was thinking about how ashamed I would have been, how embarrassed I would have had to call up the volunteer fire department and bring all these guys from their jobs all over the place and say, there's a fire at my place, it's out of control. How did it start? Well, I can just imagine that would be embarrassing. But you know, the same thing happens if, if you let words out. You know the shame that you felt do you know the embarrassment that you have felt when you have let words out of your mouth that you know that was uncalled for, that was not fair, that was arrogant, that was critical, whatever it might be? Be careful. James says that uh, it's a restless evil, your tongue, and it's full of deadly poison. That's the potential that our tongues have. There's a big warning here. Be careful. You know, it was reported that the Chicago Fire of 1871 started with a small spark in the O'Leary barn. You remember that song? 
Late last night when we were all in bed. Come on, you don't know that song? <laughs> I mean, and, and within, within just hours, by the next morning, it started at 8.30, the estimate. By the next morning, 100,000 people were left homeless. 17,000 buildings had been burned down. And over 300 people had died in the Chicago fire of 1871. And it all started in one little spark. And James is saying, your mouth, your words is just like one little spark, and it can just take off. And you don't even see sometimes the, the damage that one or two words that you've given have caused and broken somebody's heart with. Someone has said, the tongue has no bones, but it is strong enough to break a heart, so be careful with your words. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. Gracious words. Proverbs 26, verse 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. The other word picture, of course, is the wild animals that can be tamed, verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Did you hear what the Bible said? The Bible just said to you, no human can tame the tongue. Stop for that, on that for a moment. I want to ask you this morning if you're a human. Okay, I see a lot of heads saying yes. You woke up human this morning. It says no human can tame the tongue. What does that tell me? What does that tell you? It tells me and you that, that at some point in your life, you're going to have to ask forgiveness from somebody because you did not tame the tongue. Because no human can do this perfectly. No human is able to bridle his whole body, including his tongue, perfectly for 89 or 95 years, whatever it is. It's impossible. So the point is, no human can do this perfectly. So get ready. You need to be humbling yourself and going to somebody someday and saying, you know, I, I spoke at a turn. I was wrong. Do we see that happening enough? Some of you might have heard the song called Human by a guy named Rory Charles Graham, otherwise known as Rag and Bone Man, a pop star from Britain. Hit his big first single in 2016. And I would have only known it because I'm only known it because of a, of a commercial on TV. And it made me think, oh, I want to know what this song's all about. Rag and Bone Man in this song, Human, has a few lyrics that I'd like to show to you. He says, don't ask my opinion, don't ask me to lie, then beg for forgiveness for making you cry. Because I'm only human, after all. I'm only human, after all. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. The next, next verse later on, he goes, I'm only human, I make mistakes. I'm only human, that's all it takes. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. I'm only human, after all. I'm only human, after all. And then James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Are the rag and bone man and James saying the same thing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The rag and bone man seems to be saying, hey, if my words hurt you, deal with it. I'm human. Don't put the blame on me. Tough luck. Suck it up. James is saying, you will blow it with your words. You are going to hurt somebody's feelings. You are going to tear down instead of build up. It will be mostly your fault. Deal with it. Own it. Go back to the person. Humble yourself and take ownership. That's the way God says James is to deal with it. Do you see the difference? I have spoken with a woman who every Christmas is grieved. Why? Because she can't bring her one daughter and her other daughter in together for Christmas. Not speaking. There have been some words in the past that never have been forgiven, resolved, and now this woman can't, in her age, elderly woman, cannot celebrate Christmas with her family. I have seen so many marriages and families where somebody has a huge blow-up. It's almost like a, a habitual pattern. There's a huge blow-up, and instead of somebody owning it and saying, humbling themselves and saying, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, forgive me, you know what happens? A day goes by, two days go by, they start talking again, it's buried under the rug, it's never talked about, and they move on thinking that nothing's happened. Well, guess what, folks? A lot has happened. A lot has happened when we are unaccountable for our words. You know what happens? It kills intimacy. It kills trust. We might look on the outward relational part and say, well, nothing's happened. We're back to normal, thank thankfully. The spat from three days ago that's never been talked about, doesn't matter anymore. No, wrong, 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 wrong. It has its cost. And so, be careful with our words to tend and tame them. Then finally, the third part is the tongue always bears fruit. Be careful to bless and not curse. James says in verse 9, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and it and, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be, he says. The illustrations that he uses are a water fountain and a fig tree. And in verse 11, it says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? I think it's a rhetorical question. You, you know, because the rhetorical question is, the, clearly, the, the answer is No. <laughs> A, a pure spring can't you give you, you know, salt water, and a, a fig tree can't give you olives. We all know that, right? It, and yet, last week when Pastor Doug was sharing about the Apostle Peter, do you remember how he was able, from the same source in his heart somehow, he was able to, in one moment, be commended by Jesus, saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father's in heaven. And then a little while later, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't even mind the things of God. 
You see, the, the thing that James is doing here is he's, he's confronting us with the, the nature lesson that, that a pure spring can't produce salt water and fig trees don't grow olives, but then he's making you compare nature with your experience of your tongue because you know that, that, a, that a fig tree can produce olives. Your, your heart can produce both blessing and cursing. You know that from your experience. James is forcing you to think about this. And so the only conclusion is not, well, I guess, you know, no, the only conclusion is duplicity is in my heart. I am not pure of heart. I have impurities in my heart. I have both cursing and blessing in my heart. And it should cause every one of us to, when, when the words of our mouths betray the purity of heart that we call Jesus to fill us with, then we are given an opportunity. Oh God, change my heart. Change my heart. And so, as we think about this whole passage, and I want to just think about... Um, the, the Psalm of David. He said that the blessed man, Psalm 1, the blessed man is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. He's not here in all those words, but instead he, he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And what is he going to be like? He says, he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. You see, James is teaching us that, that we can need to purify the spring if we're gonna purify the fountain. We need to purify the root system if we're gonna purify the fruit. And that's the way God always works. He always gets at the heart of the matter. Isn't it true? Jesus says in 15:11 of Matthew he says is not is it not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart this is what defiles a person and so it is concluding the sermon this morning i, I just want to call us to think of our hearts have you invited jesus christ into your heart first of all I would want to start there because if you're trying to, if you're trying to make your life a, a self-improvement project, if religion is just this try to get better and be nice and be good journey, then you're going to fail because you need the engine. You need Jesus under the hood. You need Jesus at the source. So you need to maybe humble yourself and say, Jesus Christ, my Savior, your, your Lord, you died on the cross for my sin. I receive you today. I ask you to come into my heart. Deal with all that's in my heart. Make me new. But maybe you're already a Christian, and, and maybe you just need Jesus Christ to revisit that heart and to check out every corner and to clean up that duplicity and give you purity of heart. I've been thinking about the idea of channels and um, it used to be that channels on TV were kind of, uh, it was, was kind of just meant for TV or radio, but now channels are everywhere. In fact, Doug is working on uh, some, some of the group with uh, Right Now Media because we can, we can have our own channel, I was told, and we can show you the channel that we're developing and you can see. What is a channel? 
A channel is, is simply something that allows something else to flow through it. And, you know, you, you can get sports channels, and, but you're a channel. And, and when people tune in to you and listen to what comes out of your mouth and see the conduct of your life, what matters is, is not the channel. That's immaterial. What matters is the substance, the content of the channel. That's why you sign up for the zone or whatever, you know, because you want to see the substance of it. And, and you are also a channel that is able to convey the grace of God, the kindness of Jesus, the truth of God. This, this world is desperate to see and hear channels of blessing, not cursing. So we're going to have Frida come up right now, and she is going to pray for us. She's going to pray that God will enable us to fill our mouths with wholesome speech so that in the coming week we can be blessed, be a blessing and not a cursing. Would you come now, Frida, and share with us, and then Kevin and the team are going to come and conclude the service. This has been quite a morning. <laughs> I do find this difficult because I do struggle so much with my tongue. <laughs> and I know God is so merciful and so forgiving. So I just want to say right out before I pray in closing um, how much I appreciate his, his mercy, how much I appreciate his mercy daily and his grace, it's, it's, it's just, I can't even find words for it. I'm so grateful and so thankful. Let us close our time in prayer. Father, I do want to just praise your holy and wonderful name again this morning. I want to praise you for who you are. You are a, a wonderful, great, and merciful, loving God. I praise you for being so in our midst this morning. I praise you for every person that's present here and watching online. I praise you, Father, for your word, which is indeed a lamp to our feet and a lamp to my path. Thank you so much, Father, that we could be at church today that we can be hearers of your word. I pray that we would also, I want to be a doer of it. I want to finish my life well for the glory of your name. And I know that you'd 
Everybody here does as well, Lord. Praise you for your spirits leading this morning and Pastor Terry's word to us. Um, help us to be faithful followers this coming week, Lord. These are difficult times. They're challenging times. I think of that verse, Father, in Philippians, which tells us, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. And then it says, with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So praise you, Father, for what you're doing. Praise you for what you're going to continue to do. May we be faithful doers of your word. Help me, Father. Help me with my tongue. Help me with my mouth. It, it can. It can be a real stumbling block. And I'm so grateful that you are a merciful God. In Jesus' name, we give you praise always. Amen.